Bienvenidos a Nuestro South. A place for nuestra gente, our people. We're here to share our history and experience as Southerners in the United States. Our stories haven't been taught in school. Now, we control the narrative. This is for us, y'all. On a fall day in 1951, a young Mexican man sporting his cleanest work clothes, we'll call him Alberto, was out and about in Mark Tree, Arkansas. He was on a mission to buy a cup of coffee. And it didn't have to be any great cup of coffee, just any cup of Joe would do. And he stopped at Brian's Cafe, where a waitress simply shooed him away. At the diner Wicks Drive-In, they sold him a pack of cigarettes to go but no coffee. At Curvin Cafe, the owner refused him service right at the door. The people who refused Alberto his cup of coffee could probably discern that he was a bracero, a Mexican farm worker. Only one of more than four million brought from Mexico to work alongside African Americans, U.S.-born Mexican Americans, and white Americans to grow and harvest cotton during the post-war economic boom. Around 300,000 of these went to places like Mark Tree in the Arkansas Delta. What these Mark Tree establishments didn't know was that refusing Alberto a cup of coffee would lead to social change. The Bracero program was forged in 1942 in an agreement between the U.S. and Mexican governments to import farm workers to assure that American farms sustained the necessary labor while young, healthy American men were drafted to war. Braceros were considered guest workers. Their contracts incentivized them to return to Mexico before they could receive their full wages. Under the bilateral agreement, Mexican workers were guaranteed free sanitary housing, facilities for bathing, medical care, and wages equivalent to that of white American workers. The program outlasted the war by almost 20 years. Agustin Gallego and Jesus Ortiz Lutieros arrived in Mark Tree from Mexico in 1951. Despite arriving in a Jim Crow state, they were expecting equal treatment to those afforded to white Americans, as stipulated under their contract. However, they were quickly met with a grim reality. Their living conditions did not at all live up to their freshly signed employment contracts, including subpar living conditions, exceptionally low wages, and no access at all to medical care the two men decided to venture off the farm to enjoy a beer at the Holland Cafe. Like African-Americans and U.S.-born Mexicans, living in Mark Tree at the time, Agustin and Jesus were refused service. However, unlike their black and brown counterparts, they had a type of leverage against the white supremacy that natural-born U.S. citizens did not have a transnational agreement. The complaint prompted an investigation to prove that the system of Jim Crow was being imposed on Braceros in clear violation of the binational agreement, which is why Alberto was on a mission to be served a cup of coffee on that fall day in 1951. Every time Alberto was refused service, the Mexican consul and his U.S. Department of Labor counterpart were nearby documenting his frustrated quest to be served coffee. Their joint report recommended canceling the Bracero contracts for the entire area, eventually forcing local businesses to serve Braceros, as well as U.S.-born Mexicans alike. 
Mexicans were imported to prop up the Arkansas Delta's strictly segregated racial and economic order in the face of increasing resistance from black Americans. What happened instead? Mexicans played a role in knocking it down. So, after reading about Alberto's quest and his the way that his quest to get a cup of coffee ended up involving um, the U- Mexican consul, Department of Labor, and eventually forced businesses to serve them things like cups of coffee, makes me think about the way that these systems of oppression, these racialized systems, yes, they're systems, but first and foremost, but they're also propped up by individual people and individual businesses who actively and sometimes also overtly discriminate against non-white people. It's easy to see the way it happens in Alberto's story, and it's a little harder when I think about experiences today. But um, what comes to mind with the recent Trump era that hopefully we've now like left behind is the way that a lot of my, my family members said that they felt that having an anti-immigrant administration emboldened people at restaurants, not necessarily the restaurant owners, but other guests in the, re- in the restaurants to make comments specifically about their use of Spanish in the restaurant. And that's kind of the thing that always comes to mind for me when I think about discrimination in my lifetime nowadays is that it's much more often linked to the language that you speak and policing when or how you're able to speak Spanish. I don't know if that's something uh, that comes to mind for any of you all, but certainly for me, it's the first thing, um, even like in elementary school and middle school, vivid memories of those being the lines of attack that I experienced. I think what you mentioned specifically in terms of those those instances being not always visible is is pretty clear. And I think definitely language is one of the ways. I think young kids also, I mean, there's different generations, but like there's parents sometimes that don't try to teach their kids Spanish to try to avoid some of those things. Uh, whereas others kind of like own it. Uh, I was more the type to try to own it. But those are specific instances that you can see. When you were talking about that, I was like, where, what are ways that are like so much harder for us to see that discrimination? And just like racism, right? Um, a lot of those things are institutionalized in ways that maybe we don't have either the literacy or the language to understand. One thing that has troubled me over those past things in terms of discrimination is just the terrible amount of need that immigrant families have and the insane neglect that has occurred towards U.S. born children of immigrants and that has like it has just frustrated me so bad because um, it's something that you see often but like it like the benefit or the good for these like kids uh, children that this government has maybe a responsibility to do is neglected on the grounds that their parents don't deserve something right and so I think that discrimination is like it's so sinister because it's so pervasive Um, but the kids, the children can't advocate for it, even though they, you know, have those rights. And then the parents maybe sometimes don't have those tools to go and request for it unless they have access to a person who can, you know, vocalize or translate their, their grievances. Uh, so like those 
ways to me have been the most frustrating in, in recent years because they get masked and packaged in all these different ways versus someone telling to your face, speak English, right? But both exist. I definitely feel that frustration and where I want to add is sort of more to like the institutional part of um, how it all like plays out, I guess, especially for like children of immigrants is that like uh, no one is ever going to teach us about the ways that like um, people try to like silence our culture, but it's going to happen. And it's gotten to the point where our parents are trying to protect us from that. And as kids, we like definitely do not understand like where that is coming from and how it's going to affect us in the long term. And um, I guess it speaks to like uh, how there's like just more than two sides to America, the way that like our parents see it, the way that we see it, the way that like strangers see it. Um, and for me, I guess the biggest example is my mom, I guess. Uh, she's the... Uh, other than being like one of the most important people in my life, she is also the only person I know who has the like biggest sense of like everything that belongs to her and all that she deserves is being in this country. How does she do some of that, Brian? Um, let's see. Big examples are like going to the DMV, uh, going to any human resources, going to um, uh, get WIC. She <laughs> will show up and like dragging me by like the arm or whatever back when I was like small enough where she could do that because like now I'm just like a foot taller than her um and she'll say like hey look we need this now uh I need you to tell them and like this is me with like fourth fifth grade vocabulary and not anything government or official um and I'll be scared because like in that position they can say no and I won't know how to defend myself um, but it always feels good to have her by me and like we always walk out of there with like the things that we need and like we're here to this day um, So I think it speaks a lot to like her own beliefs of America And if I could just jump in real quick, I feel like Like just hearing you say that like yes, the language barrier has been a site like of experiencing unjust treatment, but it's also been a site of seeing strength and power in that unlikely place because I relate to I mean I've just grown up seeing my parents or other important grown-ups like in my life you know struggle with the language barrier but at the same time derive like power from that barrier itself because they kind of just whatever they can say they'll say it like I don't I don't care like what they're gonna say to me I probably won't even understand what they if they're like telling me off I won't know it's not gonna hurt my feelings I'm gonna like say what I need to get across the way that I need the way that I can I love that so much I I had this situation a couple of years back so I used to work in catering I was in this weird spot where I was working both as like delivery as as well as in the kitchen um, and it was the only reason that I was uh, that I was actually working there was mainly because of my dad uh, he happened to work there um, and then my two other uh, two of my other aunts would uh, also happen to work there and so um, my dad had recently gotten this like position and like this uh he was all of a sudden like kitchen manager which is which was kind of huge in the sense that 
uh, my parents have been working in uh, in the food business for so long, um, mainly as like bussers or even like in carry out. Um, so not and and like now my dad works as a as a server, but um, but this time he was. Uh, he had gotten the position of uh, being the kitchen manager, but um, we were there for like two years. Uh, I think they were there much longer than I was, but there was always like this sense of um, like silent tension sometimes because uh, like the owner uh, would and I feel like these were moments where that discrimination wasn't always super clear because a language barrier b um I think that it was done in like such a um in a silent way that it wasn't until it started to really affect us that we realized like oh like discrimination is happening at this moment and part of it part of that discrimination actually happened through like the very very different um like wage gaps that were happening compared to like the people that were working in the kitchen versus the people that um were working kind of in the front which were mainly um just white folks and a lot of the uh folks that were working in the kitchen were hispanic um and so it wasn't until we started realizing like those really intense gaps in the wages that um, the more tension started to happen between the workplace. Um, and it wasn't until there was like uh, like an actual verbal back and forth between my aunt, uh, which was which at that point she was working as um, like the main chef. Um, she happened to have like this verbal exchange with the owner of that catering business and it got so bad that like they literally walked out they they walked out on um knowing that like there were so many orders that needed to get done because it was like during the time of graduation so they had like a lot of graduation orders at that point um and then yeah like that I think that those were one of the big moments where I was just like, oh, like they took that time to um, recognize like all of this discrimination that was happening towards them. And they decided to leave uh, regardless of what was going to happen, because at some point, um, like I I remember uh, them mentioning when it all happened, because I actually did was not there when it happened. Um, and it seems like one of the, so the owner mentioned to one of my aunts that like, oh, it's like, what are you going to do? Like, you're going to leave. Like, it's not like you have anywhere else to go. And so it's almost like your employer is thinking that you're doing them, doing you a favor, but instead, uh, harming you without necessarily admitting that you're harm that they're being harmful. Um, I ended up getting fired. That doesn't really matter, but <laughs> I kind of wish that I had gotten a say on like, oh, I'm just like leaving. I don't want to be here anymore. But yeah, they ended up firing me. That, but that's not the point. <laughs> you wanted to walk out as well. Yeah, exactly. I also wanted to walk out. 
Yeah, no, like that really brings into light kind of like the different avenues for overcoming like discrimination, like even just the act of walking out while it's like a busy lunch hour or a busy time. Like that's something that we we often think of the more like formal ways, I think. Like, I mean, even Alberto's story is an example of a more formal way because something was stipulated in a contract and appealing to the authorities like to enforce like the contract. And when I think of wage theft, the first thing that comes to mind, I think now after having gone through school or maybe like law school bias or whatever, it's kind of like, is there going to be like a, something filed like to collect like the lost wages? And the fact that the go-to strategy was like, I'm going to walk out here now because this is like my value as, as a person, as a human, as an employee. And thinking about taking more of these formal like methods of action like nowadays, there's definitely that added barrier of risk to someone's status if they might choose to engage um, the system in some sort of back and forth, um, even if even if the risk is more imagined than it actually is yeah. real. <clears throat> I think, well, one of the things with, like, particularly the, the history of, like, for example, we're talking to Braceros, right? They're working with an institution within a system that's like, there's, like, legal tracks of, like, what these workers are supposed to do. They have are able to come and enter. They're supposed to enter into a contract about at least a minimum wage for the person they're with uh, who's hiring them. They're supposed to have living conditions set up for them as well. But I mean, if we work through this history, that program maybe was apparently to the people who were employing these Im immigrants was maybe too good of a deal for them because what you then have is like an undermining of their status as something legal, um, yeah, something legal and established towards going towards undocumented immigrants who have no say or have no way to like get that retribution or accountability from some government institution. So, I mean, I think that's really the the difference in our like circumstances now, right? Like you're saying, how can we or how can immigrants who are undocumented get that accountability when they don't have a legal avenue or don't feel comfortable going through a legal avenue because everything has been squished so that there is like there's the least amount of rights possible to you and the politics of supporting anyone who's undocumented also become tricky for anyone else so i think you know in terms of like the the getting fired walking out stuff i i have always been impressed that there's uh, in different spaces um you find immigrants kind of building their own like locations, their own businesses. I think there's a lot of power in that. I think um, I, there's a store around where we live, it's called uh, La Superior. Uh, and I was like, you know, I remember when we first moved here, it was like, it looked kind of run down a little bit. It was, it was, it had similar vibe to the rest of the city, to be honest. It's like old outside, renovated in the inside. And then, so I remember it had like a small carniceria, it had some uh, panaderia, it had some like grocery stuff. Um, but like over the past, three to four years like they've like added a whole section there's like a nice restaurant it's quick service the the price is good they have like these screens showing the menu and like you know that just example of progress and growth although it's not expansive i think it, it shows like the potential right and i mean in terms of that family i did some work at school i realized that like apparently that same family 
already own like three different restaurants and the one they started with like was still going on like 20 plus years later so those are pieces of power that i see like you know when when we don't have our own workplace like we can create them and not everyone gets that opportunity but people have done it and that's an example i think not just of overcoming in that way but also it brings in this other element of paying it forward, right? So they're overcoming that scarcity by setting up their own shops or their own stores. And in a way, at the same time, they're paying it forward for the newcomers, like new immigrants that are coming along, because they're not going to have to go through that sort of, where can I get this? Or where's like a space for me to order this food from back home? Because they that have been able to overcome have created that space for people coming next. So it's a very... Cool, cool way that sort of like overcoming and paying it forward kind of ties in at the same time. I want to say that I absolutely love that place. Um, but second, yes, yes, yes. It is such like, like uh, with, with the Braceros, like there had to be like a compromise like between nations and like uh, having like livable conditions. But contemporarily, like you could just let us live like any other citizen. Right. And like we'll contribute like the same. Uh video brought like jobs, is bringing food, comfort, like it is not taking away space from like anyone. Um, so I think it definitely speaks to like that power that like we could potentially have um, if you didn't like categorize us as like all the criminals and like um, sort of like push us to this side. Yeah, I guess going along with that. Um... And Daisy, you mentioned an interesting point, right? We make spaces for each other. Um, and I think it's definitely possible. I've, I've seen it, honestly, with youth a lot, recognizing that um, we can't make progress just for one specific group or crew. Uh, and in terms of the topic that we're touching, um, like I mentioned, the settings where you are matter, right? If you're in a city that has an established immigrant population, you have certain benefits. You have certain access to resources. One of the things that was crazy to me was realizing that we went to a, we moved from like a more um, small town area to a more urban area, and then we went to the community clinic, and there was there was not only like interpreter, but even the signs of like the hallways and stuff and exits were in Spanish and English, um, and you don't have that in other spaces. So like. Although we create spaces, like if we think of the what, what the conversation started with, with like farm work and, and topics like that, I mean, our opportunities across immigrants are differentiated based on where we are. And if you think, look at farm work today, it continues to be an issue. And us as immigrants, maybe in an urban setting who are either taking the produce and working these like service jobs already. And by being focused on like that level of survival, aren't aware of the continuing struggle that exists either with farm work, with immigrant workers that, you know, in the areas just outside of our cities sometimes. So that's still something ongoing. Axel, you mentioned um, how, like the importance of setting up and establishing like um, your certain spaces so that all of us could all like thrive um, together um and uh, y'all know this like I, I work in in like the film space and it's already hard enough to just like navigate this space um as just like as a latinx woman but even adding on to like the the fact that 
oh, like, I'm also an immigrant. Like, there are, I don't think certain institutions realize how um, not inclusive they're being, especially through their guidelines, especially when we're talking about, um, like, requirements where you have to have, like, citizenship or be a resident um, and have, like, a social security number. And you come to the realization that you're like, oh, shoot, you're excluding, like, an immigrant population that probably doesn't have access to that. So it is so important that these spaces are created not only for us, but by us, because we know that these are the experiences that we're having. And this is where the, um, when people that have no idea what this experience is like, like it, it's, um, there tends to be gaps where um, people that are immigrants are able to like fill in. Um, so I, yeah, I am super, passionate about the idea of like having um immigrants like be able to like create these spaces and thrive in them as they're uh just like navigating uh a lot of what the system is currently like um and just trying to find like loopholes in that same in those same spaces no i love that because it's kind of like it's not just about getting those diners and coffee shops like to serve us the cup of coffee, right? It's also about we can create our own cups of coffee. Like we can make our own coffee <laughs> and at the same time get them to give us the coffee just like everybody else. And, you know, we deserve to receive the, the same kinds of benefits and at the same time create those spaces for ourselves. So I, I love that. Um, and as we keep thinking about kind of the lessons that we learn from these stories um, and how they apply to like our lives today in the South. Um, I just want us all to remember these stories, these conversations. This is for us, y'all. Representation matters. Nuestra gente, we want to hear from you. If this content resonates with you, be sure to hit like and subscribe.